What's going on, guys? We wanted to take a moment before we enter into this next episode to shout out our two new Patreons, Dean Eldridge and David Bosshart. We thank you for partnering with us and helping us produce quality Bible-based gospel content. Thank you so much. And now, enjoy the show. This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. This, like, when you say, I, I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God, that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? Thank you for tuning in to Matter of Theology. Matter of Theology is a podcast production by Faithful Life Ministries where we address church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We seek to bring you biblical truths despite what popular movements of the day teach or that friend in your church that doesn't realize that he believes in an Arian teaching. Oh, We are on Patreon, so if you would like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash matteroftheology and become a subscriber. We have a variety of plans for you to choose from, uh, ranging from $5 all the way up to there's you know some business sponsorship stuff um on there uh you know you can pick any one of those but if you would just like to to donate you know regularly to us uh one-time donation or whatever faithful life ministries is a registered 501c3 nonprofit ministry so your donation is tax deductible boom boom so reach out to us for how you can donate but today we are going to be looking back at church history And it's amazing how Satan doesn't have to invent new ways to deceive people. This is very true. Yeah. Most of the time people fall into deception because they either don't study their Bible, they don't know church history, or both. And the biggest weapon that we hand our enemies is an ignorance of our own Bible and our own history. Or they study the Bible with an improper hermeneutic. Mm. Uh, there, there's another one in there. Yeah. And, and that, that still falls into the category of ignorance, but mm-hmm. still improper. Yeah. That, that's important. How we read the Bible, uh, through what lens we read it is very important. Uh, so proper hermeneutics, uh, is, is very, very important to our understanding of what God says and how he reveals himself through his word. Amen. Uh, So what we're going to do the next two weeks is we're going to look at an ancient heresy that is subtly resurfacing through some popular teachers today. Uh, In this two-part series, we will be looking at the Arian heresy of the 4th century. We'll be looking at the historical setting, some of the key players, the teachings of the heresy, the nature of Christ. And then next week, we're going to be looking at how the church is being infected by this teaching. Now, to start, uh, we must go back to the end of the third century. Sabellianism had become a popular teaching, and Sabellianism is is more commonly uh, referred to today as modalistic teaching uh, on the nature of God. So you hear people talk about modalism uh, as in reference to the Trinity. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that comes from Sibelius. He taught that there was one God, but this one God depicts himself in three different modes. The Old Testament was the Father. The New Testament was the Son. And now in the church age, we have the Holy Spirit. So there you see three different modes of God. Right. And there was there was a man that rose up in strong opposition to this teaching. His name was Arius. And he actually refuted Sibelianism. The problem with his refutation was that in refuting Sibelius, he denied, ended up denying the deity of Christ. Hmm. And all heresies pervert and distort the gospel. All That's of them. Right. That's right. Yeah. All of them in some way pervert or distort the gospel. But historian Nick Needham, if you get his four volume uh, church history set, 2000 Years of Christ Power, volume one, uh, Nick actually says that the Arian controversy was the greatest theological controversy in the history of Christianity. And this is because, again, while all, his, while all heresy distorts the gospel, this particular heresy attacked the nature of Christ, and more importantly, his deity. And this is really this, the, uh, centered on the most fundamental of all questions in theology, who is Jesus. I would say apart from, you know, the, the, the greatest question that any human being has to answer is what is man's greatest need? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would say that this is a, this, this is second. Yeah. Because in order to, to answer the first question, you have to get this one right. That's right. That's right. If you don't get this one right, uh, we're lost. That's right. We're, we're completely lost. So let's lay a little bit of a timeline so you have a general uh, reference point. So in 311, Arius is ordained as a presbyter. In 312, the emperor Constantine is converted to Christianity. In 313, Constantine issues the Edict of Milan, which gave tolerance to Christianity in the Roman Empire and stopped the persecution of Christians. So almost overnight. Now, there, there, there's a, a span of a couple years because uh, it, this just shows you just kind of how rapidly it took place. Um, there, there's a span of a couple years. Constantine fought some wars and stuff and everything was attributed. Uh, all his, his wars, uh, success in wars was attributed to Christ. Um, but almost overnight, Rome became Christian. And there was actually, you know, to be Christian in Rome, you, you had, there were perks and benefits. You could get like tax breaks uh, and things like that. That sounds uh, familiar. <laughs> yeah. So, so it paid to be Christian in Rome at this time. Now, Constantine, when he came into his new faith, what he found was there was, there was strife within the church. And it centered on this Arian uh, controversy. Now, as a presbyter in Alexandria, Arius reported to a man named Alexander. Alexander was a godly Orthodox man, and Arius overheard him teaching that the Son and the Father shared the same essence, that is, homoousios, mm. not to be confused with homoousios, which is like. Very, very important distinction. Yes, very important distinction. Homoousios, same substance. Homoousios, like or similar substance. Now, Arius thought that Alexander was teaching the Sibelian heresy and called Alexander a heretic. Now, around 320, 321, Alexander called a council in Alexandria, and Arius was actually excommunicated. The emperor Constantine, he desired unity in the church, and he actually wrote a letter to both Alexander and Arius, encouraging them to stop their differences and stop their arguments over doctrine. Also sounds familiar. Also sounds very familiar. (laughs) Constantine uh, desired unity over doctrinal purity in the church. Now this, I mean, it it just sounds so familiar from 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 what we hear today, right? You you know, don't argue over doctrine. And there's actually another player in this story named Eusebius, Eusebius of Caesarea. You may know him as uh, the historian, Uh, but Eusebius actually uh, 
wrote much of the same. He desired, he, he said, you know, we don't know the metaphysics uh, of how Jesus came from the Father, and we can't assume to know. But what we do know is really we're, we're, we proclaim Christ. So as long as we proclaim Christ, there, there should be unity among us and no division. Well, Eusebius was a sympathizer of Arius. He wasn't, he wasn't actually a full-blown Arian. He didn't, um, he, he didn't fall in with this heresy, but he was a friend of Arius, and he was kind of a sympathizer mm. um, of him. But uh, in 325, we have the Council of Nicaea. Now, many who deny the Trinity today, that would be like Jehovah's Witnesses, Oneness Pentecostals, they teach that this, the Council of Nicaea, is where the doctrine of the Trinity was created and invented. That is not true. The doctrine of the Trinity was taught before this. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the Council of Nicaea, what it did deal with was it dealt with the nature of Christ and the relationship between the Father and the Son. Now, Arius taught that the Father alone was God and that Jesus was a created being. He was the most exalted of all the created beings and that there was at one time when the Son did not exist. Well, and, and, and what he used as far as a defense for doing that, and I'll get into it here in a little bit, but uh, Colossians one fifteen, and then John 1 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colossians 1 says that he was the firstborn of all creation. Um, and that does not refer to him being a created being. That refers to the very unique and mysterious relationship between mm-hmm. the second member of the Trinity and the first member of the Trinity. That's right. Go ahead. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, and I'm sure you'll get into this, but a lot of what the Arians did to basically bring their case was they centered on the texts of scripture that focused on Christ's humanity, but then they ignored the parts that talked about Christ's deity. Yeah. There were two other guys that did that too, that I'm going to get into as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, at the council of Nicaea, there were really four groups of people. Uh, There was, you know, those who who were from the teachings of Alexander, uh, which would we would say is the Orthodox teaching, they were the smallest group. There was uh, those who who were in support of Arius. There were uh, those who they supported Ar- Arianism. They su- they were sympathizers of Arius, but they were ready to recant if they needed to. Uh, and then there was the biggest group, which was the group that was really waiting to see which way the tide would turn before they made a decision. Um, Are we so, sure this didn't take place in 2019 and 20? <laughs> right. Are we sure? It just seems oh so my. familiar. <laughs> right? Now, uh, that small group, um, really, there was one man that stood out in opposition to Arius, and his name was Athanasius. Athanasius was the secretary of Alexander, who was the bishop of Alexandria, uh, and it would be Athanasius that God would use to defeat the Arian heresy and ultimately save the church. Uh, now, at one time, uh, things, ha- things had got so heated. Uh, I mean, just the years that this controversy went on that Athanasius' friends would say, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. Mm. And Athanasius would reply with uh, where we get that, that famous phrase, Athanasius contramundum, which is then Athanasius is against the world. I mean, that just goes to show you one man can make a difference. That's all it takes, one man to stand up for, for orthodoxy and, and what Scripture actually teaches. Amen. Now, Uh, Yeah, amen. Um, During the Council of Nicaea, many of the members in attendance, their desire was to draft a decree that would ultimately cover up the controversy rather than solve it. And Eusebius of Caesarea, we just mentioned him, uh, he drafted up a creed that was very vague in its wording. Mm. And the intention of this was so that it it would be something that everyone could agree with. But the problem with that is when it's something that everyone can agree with, that allows for false teachers to come in and twist it uh, for their own purpose and for their own benefit. 
so you must have this. This goes to the importance of why you you must define terms properly yeah. uh, and you must be very clear in what you mean. Now, thankfully, the there were people there who recognized this. And what we got was um, the really the first draft of the Nicene Creed. That's and, right. And what I'm going to read is 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 really the first draft of the Nicene Creed. And it was actually called the Creed of Nicaea, I believe, when it was drafted. But this, the creed was later altered at the Council of Constantinople and that, and it was expanded. That's right. And that was where we got what we have today as the Nicene Creed. But this, this uh, creed of Nicaea says this, and this was really in opposition to, to Arius. Uh, And so I'm going to emphasize the points that, that refute Arianism. This is what it says. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, only begotten, that is, from the essence of the Father, homo usias, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not created of the same essence as the father again homo usias through whom all things were created both in heaven and on earth who for us human beings and for our our salvation came down and was incarnate was made man suffered and rose again on the third day ascended into heaven and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, later at the Council of Constantinople, they would reaffirm this. This is actually the Council of Constantinople really issued the death blow to Arianism. And the creed was was reemphasized and it was expanded. Now, there is in this original draft... There is an anathema attached to the end of it. And it was Athanasius uh, who was successful in getting this anathema attached to the end. And this is what the anathema says. As for those who say, there was at one time when he, the Logos, was not, and he was not before he was created, and he was created out of nothing, or out of another essence or thing, and the Son of God is created or changeable or can alter, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes those who say such things. That is directly targeted at Arius and his followers. Now, the council ended with Arius's teachings being declared heretical and Arius being kicked out of the church. Yet, uh, his teaching grew all the more popular. Uh, Arius would go on to teach at other churches, and they welcomed him with open arms, and this is where his heresy really began to spread quite rapidly. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they would invite him in, and uh, he, he, would, he would teach it. Even though he's really under church discipline, he's not supposed to be teaching, but they're inviting him in, and he's teaching this uh, anyway. Uh, Arius would go on campaigns against Athanasius and even falsely accusing him of murder. Athanasius would spend the rest of his life under persecution. He was exiled from Alexandria, I believe, uh, five different times. Uh, And finally, Constantine had enough and he was going to recant Athanasius's uh, exile and allow him back into the church. Not Athanasius, Arius. He was going to recant uh, Arius's exile and allow him back into the church. Uh, and Athanasius uh, prayed, and in, 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 I'm paraphrasing here, but he prayed something to the effect of, uh, Lord, if Arius is to be allowed back, then take me now. But if by your grace, then take Athanasius and prevent the church from being subject to this heresy. And that day, Arius died of cholera. Uh, but Arianism, uh, yeah, but Arianism had uh, uh, begun to have its impact 
And uh, so much so that Jerome wrote, uh, Jerome, you'll know Jerome from, he's the one who translated uh, the Latin Vulgate. Um, and he's the one that wrote, the world awoke with a groan to find itself Aryan. And this was before the Council of Constantinople took place, um, which was the death blow again to Arianism. And so now, obviously, this is a a very condensed version, uh, but nevertheless, there are many lessons that we can pull out um, of this controversy because it's so relevant to today. We see so many things in this controversy today that we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, um, man, Drew, thank you. That was a, that, that. Yes, it was a, a high level overview, um, but uh, but important and detailed nonetheless. Um, so w- one of the first things that that I want to say uh, when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, people like Arius, when it comes to uh, those who would propagate his teaching and, and the teaching of a few others that I'm going to talk about tonight, or, or whenever you listen to this, um, um, is the fact that they, uh, they obviously didn't deny that Christ was a historical person. They didn't right. deny that Jesus existed. Um, however, uh, what they show in the things that they said and the heresies um, that were blatant against Scripture, um, uh, what that ended up showing is that they did not for all intents and purposes, again, uh, we weren't there. We don't know uh, what or if they uh, did repent of that before their death, um, but they did not possess a saving knowledge uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ being the key word there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so that, that aside, one of the first things I want to say is that our faith, uh, the Orthodox Christian faith is confessional. Yes. Um, it, it's it's what we see from the apostles in the scriptures. It's not just creeds and confessions, uh, but it is what we see from the apostles and scriptures and throughout church history. Um, and this is why it's absolutely crucial to study church history and and compare it all and, and test it all against the backdrop of the scriptures as the Bereans did, Acts 17, right? That goes for councils and creeds. Now, remember, councils and creeds are not infallible, inerrant, or completely sufficient. God's word is. That's right. Okay. So as Acts 17, 11 says, uh, it says this, a quote, uh, now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so close quote. Mm-hmm. So, um, so as, as Drew just went through and what we have seen and see throughout history, the history of the church, especially in the reformation, um, are these incredible truths that were that were held hard and fast to because of the vagueness and the heresies that were so prevalent then and now? And and, and one of the ways that I wanted to talk about the history of this is to use the Westminster Confession of Faith. So chapter eight is on Christ the Mediator, and specifically the second and and the third paragraph. And I'm going to read those two real quick, um, and then. And then dive in. So it says this quote, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being the very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the father did when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof yet without sin being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance so that the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which per- which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Okay, that's one paragraph. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, and then the third, uh, the, the 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 second paragraph. Um, we'll we'll save that one for next time because that deals more of of why this is how this has infected the church. So we'll just stick with that one. So Drew, Drew went through a, a lot. 
um, a lot about the, the council at Nicaea. And that council um, was, you know, the big debate was uh, of the members of the Trinity all being, uh, say the words again, homeo. Homo usias. Right, right. Meaning the same substance or essence versus homoi usias. There you go. And that the, the and that the members of the Trinity were quote unquote like the Father. Mm-hmm. So a simple definition that Dr. R. C. Sproul gives us of the Trinity is quote that God is one in essence, being or substance, and three in person. Close quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very very simple. Very. I mean that that's something we should all memorize. Yeah. Um, so again, so Drew, Drew laid it out for us. Arius believed that Christ was a created being and not God. Okay. That, that's what he believed. And, and to say that Christ was God to him undermined that, that this monotheistic view that he had and wanted to hold to. And he was, he was against the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, he was hard core against the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. So his thinking kind of was because you have God, the father, then you have Jesus and Jesus, Jesus prays to the father, right? Right. Jesus says that there's things that he doesn't, he doesn't know the day of his coming, right? So naturally, and we would think this too, if we're thinking on a human level, Mm -hmm. we would think that naturally Jesus has to be of a different substance than the father. Otherwise he would know all the things that the father knows. Right. So now that, that goes back to what I said before I started talking about Arius. Um, He had the same kind of knowledge of Christ that Paul had before Paul's conversion. So the, the, the wonderful and awesome theologian Herman Bavink says this in his book, The Wonderful Works of God, quote, before his repentance, he knew Christ only according to the flesh, judged him solely by his external appearance, according to the form of a servant in which he walked about on the earth, close quote. So after Paul's conversion, um, uh, so, so after his conversion, he now knows and judges Christ, not according to, I'm quoting again, not according to appearance, not according to external temporal servant forms, but according to the spirit, according to what Christ, what was in Christ, according to what he really was internally and in his resurrection externally, he proved to be close quote. So my point in saying all of that, uh, is, is the fact that, that Arius possessed a very fleshly, uh, look of, uh, a view of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that was the problem. That was the problem. Um, so anyway, so what, we'll, we'll hold on to that for next time. Uh, cause I'm coming back to that for sure. Uh, so what happened after Nicaea, right? That was in 325 AD. Well, uh, Drew already mentioned it. Arian heresy, uh, it, it, it revealed himself. It revealed itself again with a massive resurgence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 381 AD, the council of Constantinople expanded the creed, the, the, the Nicene creed, um, to say this in regarding to the second member of the Trinity that and Drew already read it, quote, eternally, and we didn't exchange notes before him, by the way, just saying, uh, quote, eternally begotten of the Father. And this was reaffirmed in 451 AD uh, by the Chalcedonian Creed that Christ has, quote, two whole, perfect, and distinct natures joined together in one person inseparably without conversion, composition, or confusion. And the Westminster Divine pulled that and added that into the Westminster Confession of Faith. So mm-hmm. now, again, all of that is in accordance with the scriptures. That's right. Okay. The Bible speaks of Christ being a, a, a consubstantial, he is consubstantial with the Father and the Spirit. Remember the language of Genesis in the creation account, right? Created man in our image. Remember John 1. So these terms that Arius uses to refer to, uh, you know, to, to say that Christ was created, um, speak to that one of a kind, again, unique and mysterious relationship that exists inside the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So from a historical standpoint, th- th- there are some things that, that, that happened that will help with our comprehension of the Chalcedonian definition, okay? Because it, as Dr. R.C. Sproul points out in his book, Truths We Confess, he says this, quote, Church historians and theologians have, uh, have often regarded the Council of Chalcedon or Chalcedon. I, I, I've heard it said both ways. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I've heard it said both ways too, but I mean, I've always said Chalcedon, but then I've heard 
lots of people like Dr. White and and even I think R.C. Sproul say uh, Chalcedon. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with R.C. and Dr. White. Uh, So he said, quote, church historians and theologians have often regarded the Council of Chalcedon as having as having taken us to the very limit of our ability to comprehend the mystery of the incarnation. If we move away from Chalcedon in either direction, exaggerating either the divinity or the humanity of Christ at the expense of the other, we fall into heresy, close quote. Mm -hmm. So there were two heresies also that were born from Arian uh, and, and it's Eutyches and Nestorius. Okay, so and 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 again, listen to the vagueness and the almost truth of of, of some of this. Okay, um, because remember what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that the the discernment is not dis- discerning between right and wrong; it's between right and almost right. Mm-hmm. So, so when we when we see here, you know, Eutyches, he he says that Christ only had one nature and not two. And that it was a mixture of the divine and the human nature. Uh, you could call it like a, a deified human nature or a humanized divine nature. Um, but neither truly or fully one or the other. Okay. Nestorius, he separated the divine too much from the human nature. So much so that that his his issue, and Herman Bobbing talks about this in his book, um, was basically saying that Christ had multiple personalities and that he was more than one person. Um, and so, and, and Nestorius was, was condemned as a heretic at the council of Ephesus in 431. So before Chalcedon, um, so the result of these two heresies is something that the Orthodox church began. There's a term that the Orthodox church began using. It's vera homo and vera deus, which means truly God, truly man, truly God. Mm -hmm. That's where we get that Christ is one person, two natures in perfect union and 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 that is a mystery to us, which is why the Council of Chalcedon was very careful in pointing out that as well. It's much easier to explain what it's not than than why and right. what it really is. Well, and that's how when when you start talking about that, you have to explain what it is not. Yeah. Uh, in order to explain it at all, yeah. because the the nature of Christ is so unique to Christ Himself. Right. You that's have right. two na- two natures residing in one person. Yeah. So you have, uh, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I don't remember if it's Bavink or if it's uh, Gamble that talks about uh, how the, the natures are distinct within the one person, how they don't mix, yeah. right? Yep. So if, yep. if the nature, if the deity was to mix with uh, the human nature, then you would have the finite becoming infinite and the infinite becoming finite. And you would ultimately have a, a complete third nature that is neither God right. nor man. Right. Right. Um, uh, Bavink mentions that, but Gamble may also, but Bavink mm-hmm. does mention that. I think uh, it was Bavink where yeah. I read it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that brings me to what I was, dude, again, we didn't exchange notes, you guys. So, uh, you know, another point uh, about the Council of Chalcedon is, is that they were very clear in noting this quote, each nature retaining its own attributes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. ju- just, and Drew just said it. That's crucial. Yeah. And, and especially today. Okay, because and again, there's nothing new under the sun. Paul was dealing with some of the stuff you read first Corinthians 15 people questioning the resurrection. These kinds of things have been around longer than the fourth century. Yeah. Um, you know, so but but we we have to remember that's crucial that each nature retaining its own attributes, especially today when we hear things like Christ set aside his deity when he was incarnate. This mm-hmm. is yeah. heretical. His yeah, divine no. nature is 100% divine. He did not give up any of his divinity when he wrapped himself in humanity. All of his mm-hmm. divine attributes are still there in the person of yes. Jesus Christ. The divine second member of the Trinity added to himself humanity, and that humanity was also truly and 100% human as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that has to be foundational you cannot stray from that right now what you have coming from this this talk of the two natures uh really because what we're talking about is the hypostatic union the two natures residing in the one person now out of that what you have is what's called uh the consequence of attributes now what that is is it means say christ does something in his deity 
it's attributed to the one person. It doesn't mix with the hum- humanity portion, right, right. but it is attributed to the person of Christ. Therefore, right. also, if Christ does something in his human nature, let's see, he say he sleeps or, or he eats. gets hungry. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's attributed to the person of Christ. So that's you right. see, you see both natures; they don't mix, but they're attributed and housed into the one person. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, uh, and I, again, like I know, I know, you know, we're 30 some odd minutes in and, and you guys are going, okay, whoa, what did you guys just do a lot of information at us? Um, how do you think we feel? <laughs> so, so I'll say that I, uh, I mean, in, in studying, I, I sent a picture and studying for this when we, when we kind of talked about, you know, what we were going to be diving into like there, there's 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 a specific aim here um you know the 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 stack of books that i sent to drew and josh i'm like oh okay yeah we're just gonna study the nature of christ okay this won't hurt at all and it's like eight books thick mm-hmm. books um, um you know so it's it, it is information overload um but but this is crucial and important because i, I want to say this and I agree with Herman Bavink here um, when when he says uh, in his chapter, The Divine and Human Nature of Christ, he says this, quote, Hence, when Christ appears on earth and himself confesses that he is the Son of God, he did not leave it at that. But he also had a care, and he continues to have a care, that this confession finds entrance into the world and is believed by the church, period, close quote. This is something that we've seen throughout the history of the church, and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. You see these, you know, Drew talked about the four different groups at Nicaea, right? It, 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 you, th- those four groups still exist. They're still around. They're still around. You have, And, and, and really, they're, they're around, not just, not just in the world, but in churches yes 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 it, the people that sit amongst you in the congregation i'm sure there are some who fall into one of these four groups which is why i mean the older i get the more i walk with the lord and the more you see the danger again i i, I shared that charles spurgeon quote about right and almost right and i think of costi hen and his book defining deception with anthony wood talking about uh you know the 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 poison that's just wrapped in candy is the, is, is the, the most deadly because it's sweet on the outside. Um, I, I think it's important. This is just my opinion. Um, and, and Drew, I think you're going you're gonna to agree with me. We haven't talked about this, but I think it's extremely important that churches need to hold to a particular confession of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And say, I would agree. And, and say, this is what we believe about this. And, and, and we're, 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 we're not going to, we don't want to fall on the liberal side of the ditch or the overly conservative side of the ditch, especially when talking about the nature of Christ. That's right. We want to stick with what scripture says. We want to look at historic Orthodox Christianity and the confessions and the creeds that exist and say, this is where we line up. Mm-hmm. This is what we have found. This, this confession, this creed articulates it the best. Yeah. Now um, uh, but, all these, all these creeds. Right, every creed that was developed in the Christian faith, it was developed after dealing with some type of right. heresy. Yeah. So the good. reason we have creeds is because they dealt that. Pick a creed, read it, see if you can see if you can decipher what heresy it's talking about. Because every creed that was developed was was to deliver a refutation of a specific heresy that was within that church. Now, holding to confessions, people will say, well, we don't need to hold to confessions. We just need to hold to the Bible. Well, there's nothing wrong with holding to a confession because confessions, while they are not the Bible, confessions are derived from the Bible. That's why uh, if if you were to pick up the 1689 or the Westminster, mm-hmm. what yep. you would see is when you go pair. Uh, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, you will see, I think at the end of each chapter is the the scripture references for where each paragraph was pulled. So yeah. one, one of the things I'm holding in my hand right now that's a, that's an, a, a great tool um, in, in this specific subject, uh, Ligonier Ministries um, uh, did this thing called the Ligonier Statement on Christology, the Word Made Flesh. Um, and, and they do just that. I mean, this is a phenomenal 
resource. It's it's small and tiny. And I'm sure if you actually contacted Ligonier and said, can I have a copy of this? They'd probably just send you one at no charge or just say, hey, donate a couple bucks. But they go through each one of these that they have this uh, this statement. Um, um, and then they they walk through the affirmations and denials with scripture proofs of each section of the statement. And then at the, in, the, in the back, they go through the explanatory, you know, explanatory essay uh, of that and why. And it's, guys, it's not very long. This is not long at all. There you go. Drew got one too. Um, it's 27 pages. And it's a small little little staple together um, uh, little booklet. That, that's all it is. Um, but it's an incredible resource. And guys, you know, often you'll hear people say, uh, and, and, and Drew and I were very careful. We, we were like, we don't want to get into where we see this in the church today, you know, at this episode. Um, we just want to talk about the history. You know, we just want to talk about, um, uh, you know, what has happened. But guys, who we confess as Lord matters. And, and, yes. and let, let me throw an example out there. Okay. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. I'm going to step in it. Drew, I hope you're ready. I'm going to step in it. Bring it on. You know, I refrained, right I refrained uh, earlier today from stepping in it with, with something having to do with MLK. So was it what, what was going on on Twitter? No, uh, it was about his son. His son said something about like, uh, uh, you know, my, my father was a, a bridge builder, not a wall builder. So it was something political. And I was going to say to the person who posted it, yeah, he built a lot of bridges to a lot of different women that weren't your mother. So (laughs) because Martin Luther King Jr. was notorious for having mistresses. Uh, I wasn't going to step in it that quite that much, but, uh, but brother, you go right ahead, man. You do your boo boo. You do you. Uh, you So, so, so here's, here's where I want to start with this. Okay. And then we'll wrap up because we're, we're at 40 minutes here. Um, and I don't want to be one of those people that's constantly looking at the clock. I want the Lord to lead and, and, and we want to honor him. Uh, so first Corinthians 15, Paul says this starting in verse one. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received in which you also stand by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Remember that phrase as of first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Okay. Martin Luther King Jr. did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay? Um, based on what Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15, not taken out of context, in context, what Paul is telling the Corinthian church right there, because of what's going on in the Corinthian church right there, he says and asserts, and I tweeted this earlier because Tom Buck and I were talking about it. Paul asserts in position of first importance that Christ's resurrection is the foundation and surety of our salvation. That's Herman Bobbing. According to the scriptures. So according to scripture, if MLK held to that, that, that Christ, that the resurrection didn't matter, then he did not believe in the deity of Christ and he was not a genuine believer. That's right. When you look at places and I'm really trying to really, really not mention a specific Bethel church by name. (laughs) I'm really trying not to, every episode but it just keeps coming up man you can't say you confess christ and are saved if you don't confess the correct christ that's right now i will throw a caveat in there in saying that you know you can you can live in the ignorant stage the newbie stage for a little only bit, for so long for a little bit okay yeah. But true salvation is going to evidence itself in fruit. True salvation is going to evidence itself with works. True salvation is going to evidence itself with you professing faith in Christ Jesus. Christ as the office, truly and fully God, truly and fully man, uh, not a created being, the second member of the, you're going to confess proper Christology. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to have a problem with it. Right. The spirit is going to lead you to do that. Yes. Yes. Now, I know there are going to be folks out there. You can't judge. You can't say that. 
I, look, I'm not judging I think, the heart. I, 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 I not, mean, I, honestly, I think we really can if we hold the sola scriptura. If we hold go. to what God's word says, then go. we really can. Yeah, because because our judgment. The, Christ said he didn't say not judge at all, right? He said don't That's judge, right. Right. but by by a different standard, right? That's right. Uh, because that standard is going to be judged back to you. What he said is when you judge, judge rightly. So we have to have the ultimate standard by which to judge. So we got to take what we see and we've got to measure it to scripture as long as we are going along with thus says the lord in the word of god we are on safe ground and if you profess faith in christ then yes you have opened yourself up to other believers holding you accountable and calling Mm -hmm. into question when you say or do things that are contrary to scripture that's right. That when Christ said, "Judge not, lest ye be judged," he was talking to Pharisees who were adding human tradition to what Scripture taught. Mm-hmm. So he's saying you're judging them by these human traditions that aren't in the Scriptures, but yet you yourself are not living to those standards that you are creating, and so mm-hmm. you can't judge not, lest you be judged. Hello, there's the there's the short condensed version of the context yep. of that passage. <laughs> nice exposition. There you go. So so I say all that to say, and that and, workshop really paid off, brother. It did. It, <laughs> amen, Doctor Tom Buck, Doctor Josh Spice. Thank you for that workshop. And, man, oh, you man. got you got in three days what I had to get a master's degree <laughs> for. <laughs> Oh, hey man, you, you, I'm sure dude, there's, there's so much more. There's so much more that three days wasn't enough. I wish I could go to all those workshops, but, uh, finances don't allow. Um, so, so I, I you know, I, I say all that to say the reason that we spent time this episode talking about the history of this is to show a couple of different things. One, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, these heresies have been around for a long time. You cannot say, you you cannot say and remain uh, in the place of saying that Christ did what he did as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was not God. You can't say that and stay there and be saved. Right. Because that's okay. not a, that's not a scriptural uh, teaching. Now, um, that is that is actually a- anti-Christ teaching. You took the words out of my mouth. That is it. That is that is exactly what that is. That's exactly what the spirit of Antichrist teaches mm-hmm. is Antichrist against Christ. It's not anti Jesus. Notice that it's Antichrist. Right. Jesus was his name. Christ was not his last name. Right. Christ was his title. There you go. And the and the title of Christ, Messiah, is is really attributed to. The God Man, that's right. The one foretold all the way, the Proto Evangelium, all the way from the beginning of the Garden. All right, the one that was foretold would come in man or, or as a man to take away the sins of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so how I, brother, if you're okay with this, uh, how I wanted to to wrap up uh, this episode is to read the Ligonier statement of Christology on Christology, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, because it, man, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of ends with that, 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 yeah. like a prayer and just mm, right on. Yeah. All right. So it says this quote, we confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Crucified, dead, and buried, he rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us... He kept the law, atoned for sin, satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Oh, man. Well, there you have it. The Arian heresy. 
through church history, how it's still relevant today. And next week, what we're going to do, part two, we're going to look at how it's actually infecting the church. So we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about some kenosis teachings. We're yeah. going to bring in bring in Philippians 2, uh, talk about that a little bit. We are. What else are we going to do? We're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about how you know uh, how we what the big differences that we see as far as the natures of the nature of Christ uh, as it relates to the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk about that, um, and uh, and then yeah, the, the the consequent more more about the consequences of not holding to a correct Christology. Uh, and I would I would challenge our listeners too. Um, uh, I haven't. I, I want to go back and listen to our initial episode on Christology. Um, cause that was yeah, actually, that was actually a year ago this year month. Ago. It was yeah. the year ago this month. Uh, I have a little that time hop app and, and it popped up, um, the pictures of us with our Bibles open around that table. So, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back and listen to that. Um, if you haven't, we've come a long way, man, come a long way. We have brother, we have by God's grace and mercy and, uh, uh, man, I, I'm very grateful for his grace. It is mm-hmm. grace upon grace. Yeah. Yeah. And also next week, what we're going to see, we're going to see how two heresies are actually kind of blending uh, together in in some churches today. Um, I'm going to leave you hanging on that. Uh, Let you figure out kind of, you know, what's he talking about? Two heresies kind of blending. What's going on? Uh, What are you talking about here? (laughs) What are you talking about? But uh, go on over uh, to the socials, follow us, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even though we don't, I I don't tweet that much, but, but Chris likes Twitter. Um, He'll interact with you. I oftentimes forget I have it. And if your feelings are hurt about what I said about Martin Luther King, email Andy Stanley at northpointchurch.com. That's right. Uh, call Todd White. I'm sure he'll make one of your legs grow. <laughs> but also head over to iTunes. Leave us a five star rating. Uh, leave us a comment. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we've got a comment. We it we is. like getting comments, comments even good. bad ones. Yeah. As you know, what leave a five leave five stars, but leave a bad comment. And we'll read it. Well, I, I'll say this: if you're going to leave a bad comment, please contact us before you do that with your issue with scripture. And mm-hmm. if you still don't feel like we resolved it and, and we're able to be amicable, then go leave the bad comment. All right. I'll, I'll throw that out there. Cause okay. People in their I'll reviews, people in their yeah. reviews, man. Yeah. People in their reviews. We had one review one time, just in full disclosure between you and me, yeah. Chris, yeah. Uh, reminiscing, no one else listening. Uh, remember that time we had like one crazy bad comment. Yeah. And then they deleted it. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. And we, we were going to, re- I know we were going to reply to know. it. We don't know who it was. Yeah. Well, we were going to talk about it on an episode and just kind of go through it, but they deleted it. So, oh, well, anyways, we're getting out of here. Bye. Later.